Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! the Pirates series here. It was a very exciting and fun-filled weekend. Lots of entertaining baseball. The weather was great. I saw a lot of pictures of people I know on the Twitterverse at the game, and I must say I am quite jealous. I have not gotten back to a game yet. I told myself I didn't want to go unless it was all or nothing. So looking to go the, the weekend of reopening weekend there. So a couple weekends from now, I'm, I'm holding out because I think the, uh, the energy in the stadium is just going to be electric that, at that time. And I, I really can't wait. It's going to be worth the wait. I'm, I'm getting the itch so bad right now. So, and it, it helps when the Brewers are playing really good baseball as well. With this sweep of the Pirates, like I said, they are now 17-4 over the last 21 games, which happens to be when they acquired Willie Adamas. So the magic keeps on working in that regard. But let's get into our game recaps here. Game 1 was a 7-4 victory. This first one was just overall really strange. It was one of the worst home run hitting teams in the league, and the Pirates, who scored all four of their runs off three homers. Go figure. Two of the home runs came off starter Brandon Woodruff. Ben Gamble had the first one of the game with a 394-foot bomb into dead center. That was in the second inning. The Brewers then countered right back in the bottom of that inning. Nervias had a leadoff double. On base, Jace walked. And then Jackie Bradley Jr. came up with an RBI single, followed by a Brandon Woodruff sack bunt RBI to make it 2-1. to one. In the sixth, Gregory Polanco was sitting on a full count High and tight fastball and mashed it out into right field to tie the game at two. And then the strange seventh inning. The Brewers put five runs up on this on the board in large part due to six walks in the inning, one of which was intentional. But three of the walks were RBI walks. Pirates bullpen arms and Clay Holmes and Trevor Cahill just couldn't get enough strike calls. It was a very inconsistent and wild strike zone behind home plate. But thankfully, the Brewers were on the nicer end of the stick in terms of at least that inning anyway. And then with Brandon Woodruff getting run support in terms of seven runs, we used Hobley Milner in the eighth inning in which Luis Urias had a throwing error. And then, of course, a two-run homer makes it 7-4. to four. That's how you get into a save situation for Hayter there. And that error was just really disappointing to see by Luis Urias because he'd been playing a lot better, especially at third. It's a longer throw. 
he had a few incredible plays actually in this game alone. Uh, and then that throwing there was just a little gl- blemish there. Anyway, that set up Josh Hader for the save, which is going to be a theme throughout this series. 15th save occurred there on Friday night. Game two, seven to four, another victory. Same score, completely different and wilder game. Corbin Burns was the victim of a lot of bad luck, and it began in the first inning. The first hit of the game by Adam Frazier was a single that went in and out of the glove of a diving Adamas. He then stole second off Nervaez, who double-clutched, and the throw was late. Philip Evans then hit a bloop single in the right field that fell between Vogelbach, Peterson, and Robertson to put runners on the corners. And then for the third batter of the game, yes, just the third batter, a dribbler was hit right back to Burns, who then had to rush to make a throw, threw it wide of first, so two Pirates scored. Brian Reynolds advanced to third. And then Kyle Moran walked to put runners on the corners again before Burns finally got a double play ball, but another run scored as a result. So that's how three runs scored in the first inning. Entering play on Saturday, Burns had allowed just one earned run in the first inning of games. And on that day, technical, technically only one of his three runs allowed were earned in that first inning, but I really just think that's dumb because it was Burns' fault that the run scored. It was his error, so I think that's dumb and, and something that needs to change. Like, if the pitcher is responsible for the error, it, it should be earned, but hey, whatever. In, in the end, it's going to help Burns from an ERA standpoint and, and when you get down to narrowing down Cy Young votes, so I suppose one positive there. Anyway, that was just the first inning because in the second inning, the Pirates hit back-to-back triples. Eric Gonzalez had one into right field after Jace Peterson tried to make a sliding grab, ended up missing it, ball goes to the wall, he goes in standing. The second triple right after that was actually legit, but that made it 4 to nothing. Pirates. In the bottom of the second, Burns decided to help himself, had an RBI infield hitch, hit, excuse me, in which he tripped and slid <laughs> headfirst after he touched first base. Very unathletic looking. I'm glad he was not injured. That that would have been just catastrophic. Uh, but that RBI chance was set up by Pablo Reyes, who, with two outs, reached first on a fielding error by the Pirate shortstop, and then a throwing error by Brian Reynolds, who, in throwing to second base, or excuse me, a fielding error by the Pirate shortstop, it bounced like off his leg. And then Reynolds, when he was throwing it back into second, it, he rushed it. It was a short hopper. The ball went past the pitcher's mound towards home plate, but the, the catcher was backing up third base. So nobody was there. So that's how Reyes gets there. Uh, anyway, in the third, we chip away with another run to make it 4-2. to two. But The fourth inning is when all the magic happened. In this one, we reclaimed the lead with one swing of the bat. The bases were juiced due to Pablo Reyes singling. Back-to-back walks from Jace Peterson and Daniel Vogelbach set up Christian Yelich, who doubled off the wall to clear the bases and make it 5-4. Willie Adamas then traded places with him to make it 6-4, and Nervaez just kept adding the damage on with an RBI single to make it 7-4. So while that was the final score, you think, oh, all right, smooth sailing the rest of the game. Hell no. I told you this is a wild game. We're now in the fifth inning. Yes, just the fifth inning. Just after we took that big lead, Corbin Burns was pulled in the fifth because the bases were loaded and he did not record a single out. So, all right, let's reach into a hat, pick out a name. Boom, out comes Trevor Richards. Yes, the guy, the other guy we got in that race trade, and he proceeded to strike out the next three Pirates. 
He allowed zero of those runs to score. It was a huge moment for him, and it definitely changed the complexion of this game. He ends up pitching two scoreless in this game. Then we use Yardley, Williams, and Hayter again for his second save of the series and 16th of the year. Crazy stuff out of there. That definitely was Trevor Richards' signature moment with the club so far, and hopefully that's the momentum for him to build upon. Speaking of building, we're going to take a quick break because we are now sponsored by Build Built Bar. You can use the promo code TRILOGY. You can get a percentage off of your orders. And I'll be completely honest with you, I haven't tried them yet. So try Built Bar with me together. They're a great tasting protein bar and they're healthy for you. They have lots of delicious flavors. And like I said, I don't know what they all are. I don't know what the best one is, but I am going to be trying them. So try them with me. Use the promo code TRILOGY upon ordering to get a discount. Game three, Brewers are going for a sweep of the Pirates, and we got a few early runs in this one. In fact, the Brewers scored a run before recording an out in this one. Luis Arias singled off a, off a full count hit to beat the shift, and then Dan Vogelbach hit a deep shot into dead center for a double. Pirates got a run back in the second after collecting three straight singles, which all runners advanced station to station, one at a time. <laughs> so with one out, Newman hit a grounder to Pablo Reyes at first, who, rather than taking the force out at home and preventing a run from scoring, elected to try and turn an inning ending double play, and the throw to first was late, so a run scores there, tying it up. The Brewer bats then went quiet to the tune of 15 straight batters going down in a row. So that takes you to the sixth inning. So we finally get a base runner for the first time since the sixth inning in that one. And that was off of Tim Lopes' walk. Luis Urias then tripled. He tied the game. And then Avi Garcia in opposite field to run homer makes it 4-2. to two. In the bottom of the seventh, Manny Pena had a leadoff double. Advanced to third on a JBJ grounder. And then Pat Murphy pulled a quick one. <laughs> he, he's managing this game because Craig Council's out. Uh, it's his son's graduation. He puts Daniel Robertson in the on-deck circle, slated to pinch it for the pitcher, and then instead brings up Christian Yelich, who recorded a deep RBI sack fly to make it 5-2. to two. That's ultimately where this game would stand. Devin Williams came in, pitched a scoreless eighth. And then, like I said, Josh Hader, again, records a save. This time he struck out the side, gets his 17th save of the year, his third save in as many days. This is the second time this season that he's pitched in three consecutive games. The last time was April 29th through May 1st. Those were all against the Dodgers. Awesome stuff from the Brewers overall in general in this series here, beating up on the bottom of the NL Central in the Pirates. But hey, you take these wins when you can get them, like I said on the last podcast. We are now 11 games over 500, and glad we were able to get the win without Craig Council there. I know everybody was kind of making a stink out of Christian Yelich not playing on his bobblehead day, but he's been playing pretty regularly since coming back from the IL. And it's good because his hitting and his timing just looks a lot better, but you ultimately just need a day. You need a day and it just hap- you can't think about promotions and bobblehead day. It just happened to fall on the Sunday. <laughs> I mean, heck, Avisil Garcia on Saturday didn't start on his birthday. <laughs> so just some strange stuff there anyway. But what a fun series in in general. I mean, I'm going to jump right into my series MVP. And series dud. 
was just really torn for MVP in this one. Like, do I pit Josh Hader, who had three saves, or do I pick Christian Yelich, who had six RBIs? I posted on my Twitter handle account here just to kind of see what other people were thinking. And just as I'm recording this here, everyone is leaning more towards the three saves. And I think I'm going to disagree just because all three of Josh Hader's saves came with three run leads. <laughs> I mean, yes, he still struck out five batters in his three innings pitched, only walked one, looked really sharp. He was really efficient, but you had a, you had a big cushion so you can afford to you know, throw more strikes and be more aggressive. In that case, Christian Yelich came up clutch. In back-to-back games, he had RBIs with the bases loaded. That's how you get to six RBIs. Two doubles, three of seven on the series. Two walks, only struck out once. Like I said, he has been looking a hell of a lot better at the plate. Even when he's getting out, it is hard contact. It is loud outs and Really glad to see him start turning the corner here. I mean, you got to beat up on these lesser pitching matchups. That's what we have going on through what seems like all of June, and it'd be really great to see Christian Yelich just get hot and slowly watch that batting average creep up, slowly watch his RBI totals increase even further. I think for honorable mentions, I'm going to go with Dan Vogelbach. Two and nine this series, okay, maybe not impressive. Four walks, two doubles, and one RBI. The four walks is impressive. He had his seven-game hit streak broken up on Saturday's game. I think he was like 0-2 with two walks in that game. (laughs) So I was like, okay, you know, his hit streak ended. That kind of sucks. But how about an on-base percentage streak? Well, if you go back to May 30th, since then he has started nine games for the Brewers at first base. He's reached base in every single one of those games. So reaching base nine consecutive games. That'll be something to monitor here because he's obviously in line for a lot of playing time here at first base with Kesson Hira in the minor leagues and Travis Shaw now on the 60-day injured list. Otherwise, honorable mentions, Devin Williams I'm going to go with. Two scoreless innings, only struck out one batter. He had been a strikeout machine so far this year. Had, you know, gotten himself into troubles, but only gave up one hit over this weekend. That was good to see. And then, of course, I have to give a shout-out to Trevor Richards, who, like I mentioned, completely bailed Corbin Burns out, coming in with the bases loaded and striking out three Pirates in a row. Not allowing a single run to score is awfully damn impressive. So great stuff out of him there. In terms of a series dud, I think I'm going to go with Jace Peterson. 0 of 9. Did have three walks, you know, you know that's what on-base Jace does, but four strikeouts. He had three strikeouts in the game on Sunday. Did not look the sharpest defensively. Had, like I mentioned earlier, a sliding catch that he missed when he's playing in the outfield, go to the wall for a triple. There was another instance, I think it was like him, Robertson, and Vogelbach all trying to converge on a ball, and that's the outfielder's ball because that's where he was playing. He's got to call those other two off and take charge, and he did not do it. Otherwise, I'm not going to give any duds to my starting pitchers. You can't expect Burns to be excellent every time. He did go four innings in this game or in this series. He gave up eight hits, three walks, uh, but did strike out eight Pirates, in which the Pirates are really good at making contact. He's allowed four runs, but only two of them end up being earned runs. So one positive there from an ERA standpoint. I mentioned the injuries earlier. Tyrone Taylor is now on the IL. Sounds like he had an injury in warm-ups, was throwing, kind of felt something grab, and 
is now on the injured list, which, man, we shouldn't be surprised that another Brewer ended up there. Other news out of this weekend, the Brewers did make a trade. We acquired right-hand pitcher Hunter Strickland from the Angels. He had been DFA'd from them a few days ago, and we gave up some cash in this trade. We are going to be the third team for Hunter Strickland this season, and his seventh over the last five. But it has really been a tale of two halves, really, for Hunter Strickland this year. He began the year with the Rays. In his 16 innings with him there, he's being used in high leverage situations, had a 1.69 ERA. For whatever reason, the Rays must have been like, eh, we don't trust him, we're going to sell on him. He ends up getting the Angels, and with the Angels in six innings worth of work, he gives up seven earned runs and three homers. So now going to the Brewers for a change of scenery again. This definitely signifies a very low-risk, high-reward trade. And, I mean, the Brewers need to add bullpen arms. After we got rid of J.P. Feierheisen and Drew Rasmussen, we knew that someone in the bullpen to kind of sure up was going to be a trade deadline need. So why not take a shot on this guy now? He doesn't cost hardly anything. You've got a, over a month to evaluate him and see what you got in him before the trade deadline. He's got good stuff. He's got a mid-90s fastball that he mixes in a slider in there, so two-pitch pitcher. He's in the 71st percentile in terms of fastball velocity, 65th percentile in spin rate, which are two typical traits that the Brewers tend to value. So I feel like he's going to, to fit in just well in that regard. I am excited to see what he can do with this ball club. I mean, I think the ceiling for this trade is that he works up the trust in Craig Council and becomes a high leverage guy. Is he going to overtake Boxberger? Uh, I think right now it would seem unlikely, but if you could get someone like, hey, when you have a lead and you need someone to maybe pitch the sixth inning on a Hauser or a Lauer or an Anderson day, boom, you can go to Hunter Strickland. I think that might be the ceiling for him. Of course, depending on personnel, maybe it can be used later, seventh, eighth innings as well. When you're trying to save the horses, he can be used in close games. Uh, I think though that's kind of what kind of role you're looking for in Hunter Strickland. He's not going to give you multiple innings. He's going to be a one-inning-and-done type of pitcher. And as long as we're on the trade deadline, we were playing the Pirates, obviously, this weekend, who are going to be sellers, you know, for the most part. It's just a matter of who they're going to sell. I heard a lot of people this weekend talking about, hey, why can't Brian Reynolds or Key Brian Hayes be acquired by the Brewers this trade deadline? Well, I think those two are, like, the most least likely to not be moved by the Pirates. Reynolds is under club control until 2026. Hayes until 2027. If you look at Philip Evans, he's under control until 2026 as well. I think those are core guys that the Pirates want to use in their future. There's there's just no way that they're going to get rid of him. So then you're looking at like other guys like Adam Frazier. Okay, maybe. He has one more season of arbitration left. He's making $4.3 million this year. But, like, where would Frazier fit in with the Brewers? He plays second base and plays the outfield. Doesn't really fit a need, per se. There's Colin Moran. He is in his first year of arbitration right now, so you'd have two more years of club control with him. He can play first or third base, so yeah, that's certainly a very good need and fit there for the Brewers. Left-handed bat, that might be the only issue, really, because we have Dan Vogelbach, and he's been playing really good as of late, like I mentioned. 
So would we want to go after Moran? I, I guess I'm not so certain. Certain. If, as I'm talking today on June 13th, my answer would be no. But will that likely change come July 31st? Probably. That's a long time from now. So I think Colin Moran is one guy to keep in the back burner for now. And then Gregory Polanco, maybe he's getting paid $11 million this year. He's, he's an outfielder. Uh, I don't think we really need to go after another outfielder unless if something drastic happens with Lorenzo Cain and we want to add some depth. But at that point, you just kind of beg Ryan Braun to come back, I think, which there was some some talk of him earlier in the week, like midweek. His wife posted on her Instagram. He was taking some batting practice and, and looking pretty good. So maybe he's starting to get the itch there. Otherwise, I wrote a piece on Reviewing the Brew about, hey, is it time to revisit trading for Kyle Seeger? So there has been lots of trade rumors throughout with him over the last couple years. I personally have never been a fan of him. He had a big contract, uh, but he's got, what, one year left on that now. And I think the timing really makes sense. The Brewers need a good power bat at third base. I, I, I think I have confidence in Urias, but I, I'm not sold that, you know, if we're going to be contenders in the playoffs, you're going you're gonna to want another guy just in case. <laughs> Because Kyle Seeger historically is a very great defender. He has a career DRS of 34. He sits at zero for this year and does have eight errors, which is kind of uncharacteristic. Uh, but we've seen with like changes of scenery that players suddenly become a lot more motivated and perform closer to their mean. And Kyle Seeger is definitely lower on his mean, I think, this year. He's hitting 211, has a 279 on base percentage and a 704 OPS which is a lot lower than what you would like, but he's been productive, 12 homers, 39 RBIs. His OPS plus is 100, so he's been league average, literally, that means league average. <laughs> and He's been striking out a little bit more this year, 24.5%. That's the highest throughout his 11-year career. And like I said, we've had trades under David Stearns in the past where we're like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know about this. Drew Pomeranz, when we trade for him, he had an ERA in like the fives, Lyles, Jordan Lyles, that same year, wasn't really playing the best. Neither were the Brewers, for that matter, but they wanted to be contenders again, and those worked out. And the Brewers just have a really good history with the Mariners. And with a slumping Kyle Seeger, maybe we can not give up, give up as much in a trade with them. I think you likely have to give away some near MLB-ready t- talent, maybe like an Elk Bettinger, Perdomo, Tyrone Taylor, package them with a top 30 prospect. Will that get the job done? Maybe. I think you'd be pretty close, especially with how Seager's playing this year. And despite his down numbers, I do think that would be worth a gamble because like I said, a change of scenery and playing on a winning team can go a long way. But otherwise, up next, we have the Cincinnati Reds. It's like we just played them last week. Jeepers. So three more games against them. The Reds are coming off a sweep of the Rockies, so they're building a little bit momentum. Joey Votto had four hits and seven RBIs over that series. So one guy to look for there. He did collect a couple hits right off right after coming off the injured list when we faced him last week, but definitely is hitting his stride here now. The Brewers are going to go into their six-man rotation for this series, so it'll be Lauer on Monday, Anderson on Tuesday, Peralta on Wednesday. They're trying to limit the number of starts by starters, and like I said, I 
and when this first was announced a couple weeks ago, I was not a big fan of it because I thought we implemented it at a really weird time where we didn't necessarily need to. But during this long stretch of games, it makes sense. June, we have not a lot of off days. So I, I like using the six-man rotation here. If they stick with it close to the All-Star break, I, I think that's fine. Um, but after that, I think you're gonna wanna you're gonna be want to be in your final push there and and start ramping your guys up. You want your five-man rotation there at that point. So right now, I am okay with it. Is Lauer the the sixth starter that I want? Mm, not really. But I mean, what other options do we really have? <laughs> I think we got to give Lauer a few starts here. He, I think like two starts ago, he was really good. And then last start, not so good. Uh, so a little bit all over the place. Still kind of looking to see what we have in Eric Lauer this year. It's been a roller coaster with him. And maybe against these below 500 teams, uh, not as good teams, Eric Lauer can build upon some confidence there and, and kind of get something going and trending in the right direction. But that will be the Reds coming up three games against them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I will be back and have a recap podcast coming out on Thursday the 17th to go over all of that action. So make sure you are staying on the lookout for that. Make sure you hit subscribe, get all of our latest content, follow Reviewing the Brew, follow Wisconsin Sports Heroics, and of course follow me on Twitter if you desire to choose for. I just tweet about the Brewers. So if you're listening to this, I think that'd be worth the follow. But I will be back on Thursday, and talk to you later, Brewer fans.